Can we pray as we turn our attention to the word of God? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give it to us to give us life, to teach us, to direct us, and to help us to learn more about you. And we pray as we share in your word together this morning that that which we need to know and that which needs to come into our lives, you would impart that, that it would be like a seed that grows and brings life to us for many years. Pray, Lord, for your continuing ministry in the Spirit, even as we share around your word at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ah, sure. I, I enjoyed the worship. I really felt God was with us. I don't know if you had the same experience. I trust it was good for you too. Anyone to amen on that? That's good. Dory, you don't have to participate any further. Um, what's it about the holidays? Why do we enjoy holiday? Now, some of you are here because you're not on holiday, but hopefully it is a, a quieter time. But how many of you really look forward to holidays? Holiday is something you, you like. And the rest of you, you just work and work. <laughs> Wonderful. But what is it that appeals to us about holidays? For me, it's about the freedom. You know, sometimes there's less traffic and you can get to work in, in half the time. Or it's about being able to do all the things around the house, the freedom to be able to do the things around the house that you want to do. Or if you're a husband, that your wife has prescribed for you. So you're not actually free, it just feels like you are free to be able to, to do it. Maybe it's the freedom just to be able to sleep in and to go to bed when you want and not to have all the school rules. Maybe it's the freedom just to come and go as you please. The freedom that holidays brings is very appealing. And I wonder what freedom means to you. What does freedom look like in your life? And I think it's different for different people. If you had to take the word freedom and imagine that, I wonder what picture would come to your mind. Maybe it's being on holiday. Maybe it's having the job you wanted or doing things for God that you always intended. I wonder what freedom means for you. And beyond personal freedom, if we even look at the history of our own country, freedom has been such a central theme. We think of things like the Freedom Charter from 1955 that so set the trajectory of our nation in a certain direction. We all aspire to freedom. Does, you know, even one of our leading citizens, Nelson Mandela, when he was alive, he, his autobiography, he titled The Long Walk to Freedom. Freedom is a desire of all of our hearts. Freedom is something that we aspire to, that we want, that we desire. But we also know that freedom comes at a price, doesn't it? Even the freedom of a holiday comes at a price, usually. Okay. But freedom in the broader sense of societal freedom and personal freedom usually requires us to let go of certain things and to adopt other things. There is a sacrifice sometimes that's required for freedom. And even if we talk about freedom in the Christian context or in the biblical context, our freedom came at a price. It was the price of Jesus dying for us on the cross to establish for us the freedom in which many of us now live, that we become used to, that we experience on a daily basis. I want to talk this morning, uh, the title of my message I've made, I've t entitled it, Faith, Freedom, and Love. Faith, Freedom, and and love. And we're going to be spending some time in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn there on your, in your Bibles or in your devices, we're going to read a few verses in Galatians 5. 
In the last two weeks in the service, we've had, uh, two weeks ago, I spoke a bit about why faith. God wants faith for us ultimately because of our need for relationship with him and because he wants relationship with us. Faith is always inherently relational. It can't be about keeping rules. It's about hearing what God is saying and responding to what he says, whether we hear it through his word, through prophetic messages, through sense in our heart. Faith is always about responding. Faith is how we come into a right relationship with God. We don't come, and that's the central point in the book of Galatians, particularly as Paul argues through chapters three and four, he makes a very clear case that you don't come into right relationship with God by keeping rules. Now in his day and time, it was the Mosaic law code, the code, the law of Moses, the Jewish law. And he makes a very clear statement and case in chapters three and four that that's not was ever God's plan about how to be in right relationship with him. His plan was always to be like Abraham, who is the man of faith, that we believe what God says and do what he says. So he said, if he, God says, believe in Jesus and I will forgive your sins and live with you and walk with you and give you life eternal, faith is when we respond to God in that way. Last week, Pastor Litzolo shared also on being refreshed from God by spending time in his word, by the community of believers and also by the impartation of the spirit. And we've had actually some of that in the service this morning where we just had the sense of God and we're engaging now with his word and we trust him to build our relationships with him. And so we want to start reading in Galatians 5 where Paul's kind of concluded now, not kind of, he's concluded very well that faith is the way we enter right relationship with God and not law, not by rule keeping, definitely not by human self-effort, by keeping a list of rules that we think keep us right relationship with God it's always about believing what he says and responding to that. And he comes to this critical point in Galatians 5 because it's kind of a, so now what moment as you're reading the book? Now we know it's by faith and not by law. So now what? Now what do we do? How do we live? How do we go forward? And it's very interesting for me in Galatians 5.1, which we'll read together now, that Paul's basic answer is the way forward is faith and freedom and love. We'll get to love. In a while. But let's read together in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Uh, you're free to read from whichever translation you're comfortable with. Paul starts Galatians 5 1 and he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not, be, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, the yoke of slavery refers to here. In this particular, in the context that he wrote, it was the Mosaic law. But by application today, we can say the same. We need to stand in the freedom that faith has brought us. Faith brings us to a place of freedom. We're in right relationship with God, and that makes us free from rule-keeping. It makes us free from self-effort to stay in the right relationship with God. And so it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, Paul says. It's not law, it's faith, and this faith should produce in us freedom. It's freedom from rule-keeping. Rule-keeping doesn't keep us in favor with God. It's freedom from self-effort and striving. Now, in the original language, there's two interesting aspects that, well, it's, I think they're interesting, so I'll share them with you and you can decide. Is that okay? The first one is this, is that the, the word freedom in the way it's constructed, for freedom that Christ has said is free, is written as a past tense. It's something that's already happened. 
It's something that's already accomplished. It's not something you strive for, it's something you have. When you've come to faith in Christ, freedom is settled. Freedom is established. But then it's also a process. There's a moment and a process to freedom. The moment you come to faith in Jesus, you are free from sin, free from guilt, free from keeping the law. You are free to be in right relationship with God. And the rest of your Christian journey then is to walk out this freedom. There's this progressive sense in the word. Freedom is established and it grows in our lives. And that's why it's important that we keep on living our Christian lives by faith. Because as we live by faith, we keep responding to what God says, our freedom grows. And year on year, we find ourselves having more freedom in our hearts and greater capacity to grow in God and to do what God wants us to do. The word that Paul chooses, this is the second thing, is an interesting word, the word he uses to choose for freedom in the original language. And it was often used in that day in the following sense. One of the realities of the first century uh, Roman world was that many lived in slavery. Now often slaves were not well treated, but often they were. There were often good relationships between slaves and masters. And sometimes in these instances it came to a space where a master would want to grant his slave freedom. He'd want to set him free from being a slave to live in the rest of his life in freedom. Now, sometimes that could just be done by writing a certificate and saying you're free, but that became very difficult for often slaves because they had no socioeconomic, they had no economic benefit from being a slave, and so sometimes their masters would help them on their way with a gift or, or something like that, a reward for their years of service. But one of the ways that this used to happen is that and I think also for the masters to gain some social status, to be quite honest, and to regain some perhaps favor with whatever god they worshipped, is that they would take their slave to the temple of a god, whichever one their family worshipped or which was popular in the city or the town they lived in, and then they would buy, in a sense, their slave's freedom. Now the slave didn't have the money to pay their price because slaves were property, so there was a monetary value associated with the person. Feels like a lot of modern corporates, doesn't it? Just, you know. Um, but it was different. And the slave didn't have the money, so what the master would do is he would pay the money to the God. He would pay it as an offering into the temple. And then the, the temple would give the slave a certificate, and often on that certificate they would write the words for freedom, this Greek word, eleutheria. They would write the word for freedom. And the idea in the culture and the understanding in the culture was this, is that once you'd been bought by a God, once you'd been paid for by a God in this way, you could never be enslaved again because it was for freedom that you were set free. And so Paul uses this word and he brings it into the Christian thought and to Christian context. And it is this for us. Jesus paid the price for us to be free from slavery, a price that we could not pay, from slavery to sin in particular in this instance. He pays this price for us and then we are set free with the idea that we should never be enslaved again. And God writes over our lives for freedom. Over your life, if you've come to faith in Christ, God has written for freedom. The intention that your freedom is established from that moment on, but that from the rest of your life, you would live out that freedom. 
And so for this rich word, Paul writes, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are free and you must live out this freedom with the idea that you should never be enslaved again, definitely not to sin. And if I may extend it this morning, not to bad habits, not to yourself, not to your old ways, not to your old lifestyle. You are free in Christ to live this new lifestyle. But Paul also warns in this verse, Galatians 5.1, that we should stand firm, that we should guard our freedom, that we should not allow this freedom which has been bought for us, which we stand in is a reality now for us, that we shouldn't be enslaved again. We shouldn't go back to rule keeping. We shouldn't go back to trying to keep score, to stay in right relationship with God. You know, we come to church this morning just so that we can get the tick. That's not freedom. Come to church because I love God, I want to be with these people, and it's good for me because I learn and I grow and I get encouraged in my faith. So freedom should be guarded. We must stand firm in this place of freedom. We mustn't go back to our old ways. Whatever those ways were that we thought would get us into right relationship with God, whatever those man-made ideas are that will keep us, that we think will keep us in right relationship with God. So faith brings us to freedom. But faith not only brings us to freedom, it keeps us free. Because as we keep on hearing what God is telling us, and we keep responding and doing what he says, our freedom grows. Is that okay? Now the rest, next few verses in the chapter, the next 10, 11 verses or so, from chapter 5, verse 2 to Verse 12, we're going to pick up reading in verse 13. It's almost like Paul goes on a detour. It's a divinely inspired detour, but he quickly lands this issue about why they shouldn't take part in circumcision because circumcision was a sign that you were going back to accepting the ways of Moses as a way of being right relationship with God. And Paul says you cannot do that. You cannot go back into the Jewish um, legal system to be in right relationship with God. Don't do that. And then he appeals to them quite personally and at this point in the letter, he actually gets, I'm not going to read it because it's like a public meeting, but, but he gets quite pointed with the, his opponents. He says to them, you know, you're advocating this and it's wrong and you should stop it. And that's the polite, censored, not Greek version. Is that okay? So Paul goes on a little bit of detail. He talks about don't go back to the law of Moses. He addresses his opponents. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he comes back to this topic of freedom that we want to talk a little bit about and love that we're going to Reading. So if we can read together, together then in uh, Galatians 5 and verse 13, Paul comes back from chapter 1, he picks up, sorry, from verse 1, he picks up about this idea of freedom again. Galatians 5, 13 reads, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We know that. That's established from verse 1. He's just repeating there for emphasis. And then he goes on and he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the, the flesh. Some NIV translations will say your sinful nature. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So the point is repeated. You were called to be free. This is something you must Embrace it, something you must take on as a reality in your life. But the rest of verse 13, Paul changes tack a little bit. 
And what he starts talking about is the appropriate use of freedom. Once we are free in Christ, it's not about the rule keeping to be in right relationship with God. Once I'm free, is that a anything goes Tuesday kind of effect? Or is there something that this freedom implies? Is there a responsibility that goes with this freedom? And so he first starts talking in the negative, and he starts talking about the improper use of freedom. As a Christian, what you should not do with your freedom. Is that okay? And very simply, he says, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Now, in the context that Paul's writing this to, it's a little bit, it helps us understand, I think, a little bit better. What's happening in Galatia and in many of the New Testament churches is that you have people coming to faith from, let's say, a Jewish background. They were Jewish people. They knew the law. They knew what it meant to live a life that is pleasing to God, acceptable to God, what was, we could use the word, morally right. They had this background. It's how they grew up. And they were coming to faith in Christ and entering the church. But then you had a whole other group of people who were coming from a, what is called a Gentile background. Basically, Gentile just means non-Jewish. They're coming from a non-Jewish background into the church. And they had no idea. Okay. They were the people who, if you've been in church a while, they come to church, they don't know actually how you're supposed to dress for church. You've all seen them. You all look really holy now, but you go, I've seen them. Okay. They're not initiated into what's right and what's moral and what's not. In fact, from their former lifestyles, they were quite immoral. They were, can I use the word wild? And you all know what I mean by that. The, the general Greco-Roman lifestyle would be what we regard as quite immoral, quite wild, quite uh, promiscuous in many senses. But essentially what Paul is saying is we should not use our freedom to, for sinful self Indulgence. That's not an appropriate expression of freedom in Christ. We shouldn't use it for sinful self-indulgence. Now, in case we're not going to read it, but in case you're wondering what that looks like, that's why Paul is explicit. Chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Often we talk about it as the works of the flesh. If you've been using the King James a while. The works of the sinful nature. Paul lists a whole lot of things there which are sinful. These, those are things that if you are free in Christ, you should not be doing. You shouldn't be engaged in sexual immorality. You shouldn't be worshiping idols. You shouldn't be involved in witchcraft. You mustn't be hating people. You mustn't be sowing discord. You shouldn't be jealous. You shouldn't be fighting. You mustn't be selfish. You shouldn't be envious of others. Those are all inappropriate expressions of Christian freedom. And my view is that it's an ad hoc list. It's things like that. You should not be doing if you're a Christian. So Paul writes and he says, it's for freedom you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Excuse me. Don't do that which is improper. Now the intention in that, let's call it a sin list. Sorry, I just want to get the bottle open. It's always the toughest bottles they put at the pulpit. Did you know that? Thank you. We train for this. We practice it at seminary and stuff. 
So there's an improper way where you live a lifestyle that is based on sinful self-indulgence that is not an appropriate use of your freedom. And Paul provides that list for us to help us clearly understand. And he had to provide it to his readers in the first century world so that they too would clearly understand because some of them just didn't know that those things were wrong. Paul then also turns our attention to what is the proper use of freedom. Verse 13 reads, Brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful selfishness, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So there is this appropriate expression of Christian freedom. And that is the nature of freedom that Paul addresses here. Freedom implies responsibility. A price was paid, and our price that we pay, although Jesus paid for us, our responsibility is to take up this responsibility, that we start serving one another humbly in love, to serve one another humbly in love. The service of others in love is the appropriate expression of Christian freedom. It's the freedom to love others. Now, how do you do this? And Paul helps us understand some things in this place in the rest of this chapter and in other places in the New Testament too. But it is interesting for me that in verse 16, very soon after he's written this, Paul does something interesting, and I'd like to read it, and then I'd like to tie it together for us. Because Paul makes quite a conceptual jump in this space. He's been talking about faith and law a lot in the last three chapters. And then, kind of out of the blue, in verse 15 in chapter 5, Galatians, Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, of the sinful nature. For what the sinful nature desires is what is contrary to the spirit, and what the spirit, uh, and the spirit, sorry, what is contrary to the flesh. They, your, the spirit of God that lives in you, and your sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And as I was studying this, it's quite a jump. Paul's been talking about faith. He's been talking about freedom, and that freedom is about expressing love to others. And then kind of out of nowhere, he introduces this idea of freedom. Now, in the book of Galatians, up till this point, he's hardly spoken about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he introduces this concept for us, live by the Spirit. If you read some of the more literal translations, it might say, walk in the Spirit. If you've grown up on King James Bible, walk in the Spirit is the, the language you'd be familiar with. And how does this concept of walking in the Spirit and faith and law and Spirit and flesh all tie together? Now, I don't think I've got the whole answer. I wouldn't presume to do that. But I wonder for Paul if it, this idea of living by the Spirit isn't far more concrete than perhaps as modern-day believers we would often make it, let me put it that way. Because often when we hear words like live by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit, we tend to make it quite abstract. We tend to make it a bit other. Um, perhaps you do it this way, you walk into shop and Jesus, can I have a Coke? And then you don't want to look weird in the shop, so you walk around pushing your chart until you think, a cart or whatever, until you think Jesus speaks to you. And then some of you, I know you just drink Coke all the time, you don't even ask Jesus if it's okay. That's fine. 
I'm using it as a silly example. But we come to God, maybe it's this relationship, it's this job. And we tend to make how we live our Christian lives quite an ethereal thing, a bit abstract, a bit removed from who we are. I don't think that's how Paul understood what it meant to live by the Spirit. I think for him, it was very grounded. I say that for two reasons. One, I think for Paul, living by the Spirit meant faith expressing itself in love. Freedom being used to serve one another in love. I think Paul said, when we serve one another in love, we are actually walking in the Spirit. When we serve one another humbly in love, we are living by the Spirit. And I think that's true, at least in my experience. When the Holy Spirit works in me, I find myself serving others. I find the focus of my life moving to others and not to myself. And then freedom becomes easier because freedom isn't so much about what I'm free from. It becomes a lot more about what I'm free to do. I'm free to live by the Spirit. I'm free to serve one another in love. And again, Paul provides another list for us towards the end of this chapter, just after that list of the inappropriate expression of your freedom, the works of the flesh, the acts of the sinful nature. In verse 22, famous passage, he says, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got them. Okay. But why does Paul do that? Because living in the Spirit, serving one another in love, what does that look like? It looks like I'm being kind. There's joy that comes in my life. There's peace. There's a goodness that comes from me. There's a concrete measure of what that means. In another book, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes from about verse 4, and he defines what love is. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Does not keep a record of wrongs. That one was just written for non-males. Um, Sorry, ne? Um, but Paul takes this concept of love, which is more than a feeling in the Greek language. It's a, something that we do with our wills. It's an act of volition. When I choose to be kind to someone, what am I doing? I'm serving them in love. I'm walking in the Spirit. There is this element where I hear from God and do what the Spirit tells me to do. I don't want to diminish that. But I want to say, I think for Paul, it's much closer, much more concrete than what we perhaps have understood. And so as we walk in the Spirit and we live in the Spirit, we actually end up serving others in love. It's interesting in the passage we just read, Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul writes this in such a way that what the Spirit wants and what our sinful selves want are in opposition to each other. And the way Paul writes it is that it's so clear what God wants you to do and so clear what is sinful and selfish, that it shouldn't be difficult to distinguish the difference. Just like if you read those two lists, idolatry, selfishness, discord, anger, jealousy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These things look very different. And so it's not a mystery or a secret to serve one another in love. It's not a mystery or a secret to walk in the Spirit. The distinctions are clear. It's a bit like lions and hyenas. Let me say that right. Lions and hyenas, I don't know if you've ever watched any nature films, but there's some good ones. Lions and hyenas do not like each other, do they? They are always fighting with one another around resources and carcasses and raw meat and stuff. Okay, I don't know why. But it's a bit like that with 
walking in the spirit and your sinful nature. They are in constant conflict. They will never agree with each other. When you start thinking that this is okay or God doesn't mind, you're missing the point. God minds. They are constant enemies. They are in contrast. They are opposite and different from one another. So what does it look like to serve one another humbly in love? Practically, it is some of the examples I've just said. It's about being kind. It's about hearing what God is saying and doing it. You're walking in the shopping center or you're at home with your family. What is God saying? And you respond in faith and you do what he says. It's about being kind. There's a tangible element to love. It's not just about having warm feelings or good feelings towards it. Those of us who are married would know that marriage takes more than warm feelings. Okay? It takes a little bit of, not my marriage, but it takes a bit of work for some people I hear. Okay? Because love is an act of the will. You choose to step beyond things and you love each other irrespective and sometimes in spite of as well. Acts of kindness would be faith, uh, expressing our freedom in love. Treating others as made in the image of God is how we humbly serve one another in love. So faith, sorry, so freedom. Let me talk about freedom. Then I'll talk about faith. There's this element in freedom where I'm free from things like my sinful nature and myself and stuff, but I'm also free to and that's what chapter 5, verse 13 does for us. It helps us understand that we should use our freedom not to serve the things we're free from, but to focus on the things we're free to. Sometimes, as I've counseled people and walked with people, what happens is they get stuck in something or a bad habit develops in their life. And a lot of energy and effort goes into being free from and many times we hear testimonies about being free from. But the surest way to become free from is to focus our energy, effort, and attention on being free to. If your energy and effort is concerned with how to serve others in love, you're going to battle less with sin. Because simply put, you're just not going to have time for it. You're not going to have energy for it. You're putting your attention and your effort in being free to, to loving others, to walking in the Spirit, to being led by God, abstractly and concretely in that way. So faith brings us to freedom. Freedom has a purpose. The purpose of freedom is to serve one another in love. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. We're both free from and we're free to. And this morning we find ourselves in this privileged place where we can be free Two, you are free to love. And as we mark the season and we consider the season of Christmas, where we mark the moment where God became man, where God became flesh, with the purpose of reestablishing relationship with us and paying the price for our freedom. When we serve others, we're simply just modeling what Jesus has already done. He came to serve us in love by giving his life for us. And so this is the pattern we follow. And may this Christmas time help us remember this pattern that as God came to serve us in love, 
we can go to and just be like him and serve others in love because we are free. So faith brings us to freedom where we are free to love others. And perhaps in the season as you engage with family that you haven't seen for a while or family comes to visit you and disrupt your household, I'm sure you love them, um, you have a place of freedom where you can serve one another in love. Families are interesting spaces because sometimes because of history, sometimes because of tradition, we have these rules that we keep within our families. Isn't that so? And as I was preparing this morning and praying, I wondered if Jesus wasn't saying for some of us in the room that it's time in your family to step beyond the rules. The rules aren't going to keep the relationships right with wisdom. Okay, with wisdom. But maybe it's time to move to a place of faith and to serve others in love. Don't say my family doesn't do that. Serve your family in love. Is that okay? If it's, if it's a word for you, then maybe just ask the Lord and to, to help you with that. Let's become those who serve our communities humbly in love. Let's be those who serve our nations. Our Freedom Charter is to serve our nation humbly in love as people of faith. So, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful selfishness. Use your freedom to serve others in love. Why don't you stand and let us pray together. Jesus, thank you that you made a way for faith, that you made a way for us to come to freedom. And I pray that you give us the ability by your spirit that lives in us to be good stewards of our freedom. Help us not to use our freedom for incorrect purposes. Help us to use this freedom you've bought for us, the freedom you paid for, to serve one another in love, to walk as led by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. Thank you that you will not ask us to do anything that you don't empower us to do. Give us the courage to step across rules and boundaries so that we can love more and we can love better. I pray your blessing on each one in the room this morning under the sound of my voice or on the different social media platforms. That the season would be a time when we reflect on you, but that those thoughts that come are like seeds in our heart that are going to yield rich fruit for your kingdom. I believe for some in the room, maybe the Lord is asking you at this time to love somebody more than you have before. And for you, I pray, and empowering by the Spirit of God, the gift of faith and courage that you can step across the boundary lines to serve others in love. Lord, we pray you go with us in this week. As we remember you, for many, it's a quieter week. Help us to use our freedom spaces with wisdom. Help us to use the free spaces we have to love and not to indulge. Pray your safety for those who are traveling, whether coming or going, and your blessing on us as a community. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.